Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, good morning. And it is truly my pleasure to be able to be in the pulpit here at Berlin Baptist Church this morning. My wife and I were reminiscing on our way here this, as we left at 7 o'clock this morning from uh, the mountains of North Carolina to get here in time to preach. Now, I haven't told Mike this yet, and I'm kind of weary on telling you all, but I actually saved the date of your homecoming wrong in my calendar on my phone. So when he a week and a half ago said, hey, do you need anything for the 8th? I had a deer in the headlight look, and I had to go tell my wife, hey, honey, this trip that we planned is going to be cut a little short because we're going to be rolling out of there to get down to preach at Berlin Baptist. And, it, and it's not because I love Mike so much, or honestly, because I know you all and we have such a long, rich history, <laughs> but we do. This place is very special to us, Berlin Baptist. Some of you all may not know who I am and may not know who my wife is. Um, You know, when you saw my name come across, you were like, Yorio, what in the world is that? You know, where did Mike find this guy? But just so happens that about 14 years ago, I was serving as the associate pastor at First Baptist Springfield when my father-in-law was the transitional pastor here. Yeah, Troy Tyson. And on Saturday, September 5th, he passed away that night at about 11 o'clock at night. And I was scheduled to preach for him on the 6th of September right here. And that day, if you were here, I was, (laughs) on September 6th, 14 years ago, was an emotional day for all of us, wasn't it? It was. It was a difficult day. We've been through a lot together. In fact, my mother-in-law sends... Her deepest love, uh, and, and would have loved to be here today, but she's actually with our children. A lot's changed since we were here last. Last time we were here, we had a two-year-old, and we had a three-month-old. Now we have five children. Our two-year-old is now 16. Wow. Our uh, three-month-old is now 14. And we just kept having kids. Wow. And uh, it's how it works out. Apparently, it's not the water in Springfield that causes you to have children because even after we moved it, the water in Springfield causes you to have children every 22 months. Everywhere else was four years. But it has something to do with parsonages. I don't know. So it's a very special opportunity for me to be able to come and preach here. To me, for me to be able to look out and see how this church has changed. How blessed you are to have a pastor who is very dedicated to God's Word and Mike McCormick. One that loves the Lord, loves his family, and loves the church, and strives to serve them. And that's one thing that I know he's going through a lot right now. I couldn't imagine if my oldest child was in the hospital, and I had to be separated from her knowing that she had had a difficult time the night before. So I think in illustration of the sermon that we're going to have here in just a few moments as I preach... Um, Mike, I'd love to lay hands on you and pray for Elizabeth and pray for you because I know it has to be a struggle. So, Mike, if you would come down here. And um, I know that your desire is to be here with the church but also to be with your daughter. And I 
I can't imagine what you're going through, like I said. And we love you and see the emotion in your face. But I uh, wanted to pray for you um, that you'd be able to just be at ease and experience God's mercy and hand of peace. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for Mike McCormick, Lord, and for, the, for his precious family, his four girls. God, he's blessed. And Lord, I know that when one is struggling, that a father's heart is torn. And Lord, I pray for peace and your hand of mercy in his heart now. Lord, let him um, feel at ease knowing that Elizabeth's your child first. And you've given him the wonderful privilege of being able to be her her father here in this world as she, um, Lord, is mentored by him and loved by him and guided by him. I pray, God, that he would fully trust and know that she is in your hands and that you are caring for her and that you have gone before them in this. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, brother. Pray for you. Like I said, it, it has a huge effect on us, what's going on among the body, and for you all the same way. Whether it be 14 years ago when I was here the day after my father-in-law passed and we all mourned together, and it was a struggle. Uh, when you look into a congregation and you know it's not the inspiration of God's Word that's being carried out in that exposition before you all here that's bringing you to tears, but rather what it is is the fact that your pastor that you've loved, that has ministered to you, is no longer with us. And that's hard. So we can all imagine what it would be like to be in the pew but really need to be somewhere else or desire to be somewhere else. To be selfishly serving the body like a pastor who loves the church though his daughter's in the hospital. So church, when we take a look at this, and this is not my intended um, illustration for today's message, it really points to that the essential nature of the body that's the church, being in, living in submission with each other. Living in constant submission. I just finished preaching through First Peter. Um, I'm the pastor now at Slough River Baptist Church. We live in West Columbia, serve in West Columbia, and are enjoying our ministry there. Um, miss the country. <laughs> miss um, showing up to the house and there being a bushel of peanuts on the front steps or some corn or something like that from one of our faithful church members, definitely, but God's really working in incredible ways there, and it's a blessing. They're starting service right now, in fact, uh, with a guest preacher and, and our staff working diligently there. But I just finished preaching through First Peter, and um, one of the things that you see is a constant theme. You see this constant theme at first of submission. What does it look like to be submissive before the Lord and then to one another. And it's very specific throughout. Um, it's very specific about um, in what circumstance you find yourself in life and how then you would submit. For instance, we know um, that like Paul, Peter gets into marriage. And what does that look like between husband and wife and roles of male and female and the submissive nature that takes place there. But then also here we see a more broad statement on submission. And that's speaking to the church. To the believers. Like I said just a moment ago, this week, um, Ruth and I left Friday and we went and spent a couple nights up in the mountains near Lake Lure, if you've ever been there before. And um, we spent a couple nights there and left this morning. But when we got there, 
the lady who owned the Airbnb was there and we found she's a sister in Christ. Right? So we love her. We submit to her. And we're friends with her and she's part of the body. She's part of the church. For eternity, we are going to be worshiping with her. Just like we're going to be worshiping with you and those that have gone before us. So, what is it with this unity and why is this submission and this idea of submitting before the body so essential? Well, that's what we're going to discover today in 1 Peter chapter 3. Just these two verses, verse 8 and 9. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 says, Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, and tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Father, as we enter into this text of Scripture, I pray, Lord, that you would truly hide me behind your cross, that, Father, you would expose the truths of this word to these that are here. And then, Father, you would do your perfect work and application. Lord, let us leave here changed each and every time. Let us leave here regaining focus and momentum each and every time we come and we worship with one another and we sit under the authority of your word preached. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may take a seat. So, the church, the idea of living in submission is nothing that's popular at all, is it? When we think about the idea of submission in this first part of 1 Peter, and then we get into sacrifice later on in Peter, both of those words are a little hard to swallow, aren't they? When we think about the idea of submission, it's not a popular thing in the world that we live in today. Everything wants you to submit before it, but nothing will submit before you. When it comes to sacrifice, the idea of making sacrifice, of suffering for anything, is something that is is far removed from us. You know, we sit here today as 21st century American people that have lived very well, that are way above global poverty, that all of us have at least two vehicles at home, I'm sure. Um, We all have clothes, multiple sets of clothes to wear on a regular basis. We're all able to eat many meals a day, not just one, not just two, or maybe not just one every other day. We're very blessed, aren't we? When you woke up this morning, nothing outside, your neighbor's house wasn't smoking, was it? No, it wasn't bombed last night like we've seen took place in Israel yesterday. You see, we have it pretty good. We have it really good here. And then we start thinking about the ideas of sacrifice, submission, of of suffering, and we immediately go, whoa, 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 preacher, I don't want to hear anything about that. Because life is good. But the thing is, is that we're not promised ease of life. We're not promised financial gain. We're not promised our next meal, breath, or heartbeat. But what we are promised is good. And that's what's found in eternity with the Lord, isn't it? That's what's found in our salvation, the living free from sin, isn't it? So before we even get into the idea of this living as a body, the first thing we have to do is determine, are we part of the body? It's hard to say because 
anybody preaching a message on this probably would just jump right into, well, I'm at the church, right? I'm at Berlin Baptist Church. I need to jump right into this being of one mind, having compassion on one another, loving as brothers, being tenderhearted and courteous to one another. Yeah, but you cannot do that outside of Christ. You cannot do it outside of being a regenerate person who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. See, Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he goes into speaking about this very thing and he says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. You hear that? He's saying, if you love Jesus first, then in verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord, and of one mind. We cannot achieve Submission and unity to the body if we are not part of the body. And you're part of the body. It does not, it's not part of your makeup. It's not part of your routine. Well, I go to church on Sunday mornings. Well, I you know, am dedicated in staying away from alcohol and staying away from using foul language and not watching certain things on television. I'm, I'm very good at being moral. I make ethical decisions. I don't steal. I don't take from other people. I'm a good person. Well, you know what? There are a lot of good people that will be in hell for eternity. So, my question is, how many of you, and do you truly trust Christ? Are you that person? Before we even get into 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, are you that person who has their full consolation in Christ, finds comfort in the love of Christ, fellowship of the Spirit, that means God's Spirit dwelling and living in you and illuminating the Scriptures and bringing you into worship and corporate worship. And then also affection and mercy. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to consider. It's hard to think of that this visiting pastor would bring this out right away. But let me tell you, it's not what you're doing. It's what Christ has done. That's why Paul says so clearly that it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because if we could save ourselves, let me tell you, we would build banners and we would walk around holding them up and saying, hey, look how good I am. I'm good enough. I saved myself. I would boast about it. My head would be bigger than it is. And it's already huge. I'm very aware of this. I'm very aware of this. I've blamed the size of our children's head every time on my wife. And everybody laughs about it. And I don't understand why. Well, our children are very smart, I'll say. But let me tell you something. We would be puffed up. We would be conceited if we could do it on our own. But we can't. Instead, we should be humble and submissive. And that's what it comes from. Understanding the true work and nature of Christ is where this humble and submissive attitude comes from that leads us to our text today. So first, do you know Jesus? Has Jesus done His perfect work in you? Because if you haven't, then you will never reach this point of submission to the body that is absolutely essential. Why? 
because it is totally contrary to everything that the world says. Totally contrary. The world doesn't want anybody to get along. That's why they're causing conflict in every single nook and cranny of every bit of culture and society. There's a fight. There's a war going on all the time. No matter who you are, where you are, no matter if you're on the left, if you're on the right, if you're in the middle, none of that matters. There's a war. Everybody's mad at each other and everybody's arguing all the time. There is no unity. And you know what? The shameful thing is that is entered into the church. So Peter's coming and he's saying, this. I'm not talking about persecution like I have other times here in the text. I'm not talking about what non-believers are doing against you. I'm talking about what you are doing against yourselves. That you are a big enough stumbling block that the enemy can just totally back away from the church and says, hey, I don't even need to come over and tempt you to do this because you're doing plenty well on your own. That's what happens when we allow what is worldly to enter in to the scene. And that is a major problem. That is a major problem. And that's why Peter gets into it immediately. And he just says, very simply, he says, finally, in conclusion of all this talk on submission and unity, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. So the first point that I would like to make, there's only two points in my message today. That does not mean you're off the hook. <clears throat> Pastor Mike and I both agreed, since we're feeding you lunch today, I can keep you as long as I want to. And if you try to leave, I will shame you. Um, just to let you know. I don't know your names, but I'll say, hey, guy in the white shirt, shame on you. I won't. You're right. You're right. I won't. And I will be hungry too. So that's something you can guarantee. But the first point is, let our behavior reflect the total change Christ has made in our lives. The total change Christ has made in our lives. Because in order for us to be fully changed by Christ, that means that we have to have a submissive heart going in. And then, our lives, what? And our behavior, what? They totally reflect that change. Listen to this. Being of one mind. How many of you can say, I agree with one person 100% on everything? Think about that. I agree with my wife 100% on everything as long as she agrees with me, right? Right. I've never been wrong. I was never wrong until I got married. And then I realized I'm wrong all the time. I'm wrong all the time. I can be... Amen. Amen. I, come on, man. Give me a witness. No, but really, if you think about it, you know, you go to work and you have some authority and you say things and everybody's like, oh yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Right? That's a great idea. We're going to do that. And you find out if they actually thought it was brilliant or not on whether they did it or not. You know, they'll just be like, oh, you know, that, that was really a bad idea, but we told the pastor it was a good one. So let's do this instead and see what he says. You know, like, let's see how it happens. You're in a, you're in a meeting, in a committee meeting, and they're coming up, we're brainstorming, coming up with ideas, and then I bring something up, they're like, oh, that's a great idea. Way to go. Good job, pastor. I get home and tell my wife, she's like, that's a terrible idea. You know? Which is good. 
You need to have somebody that's going to be honest in your life, right? But at the same time, good luck finding that one person that's going to automatically agree with you on every single little thing. Y'all, if, if you're single here in the room today and your desire is to be married and to have a family and do all those sorts of things, then one thing you're going to have to realize is there is not a person that is going to fully agree with you on every single little thing that there is. You will disagree. But yet here, he says, finally, brothers, and for the sake of unity, for the sake of submission, be of one mind. Paul says it too. In fact, he says it, and he means it so much that in Paul's list, oftentimes, he'll say the number one thing he wants everybody to hear, and then he'll give you a list, and he'll repeat the first thing at the end. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, that we just read a moment ago, be of one mind, having the same love, being in one accord, and then also be of one mind. Wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? So the number one thing is to be of one mind. What does that mean? As believers, what does that mean? Well, I love one thing that I've seen change here at Berlin Baptist Church is the mission emphasis. The idea of just getting back from Brazil. And, I mean, he's had to learn how to speak Portuguese fluently, I'm sure. No. <laughs> no, that's a challenge. We all learn Spanish. Then you go to Brazil and you have to speak Portuguese. Good luck. Uh, at least most of them know a little bit of Spanish to, to help you out. Or most of them know English, too, to help you out. But let me tell you something. That's a great thing. If we're going to have unity of mind, the first thing that we have to wrap our minds around is what? We've been called for the same purpose. And that is to go and to make disciples. That is to go and to make disciples, whether or not it's right here outside the doors of the church, it's in the doors of the church, or if it's in our Judea and Samaria and the edges of the world. We are called to do that. That is our commission. First thing. Is everything gospel-centric? If we're going to have our minds all united, is everything centered around the gospel? That is essential for the church. That is why us being in submission to the body all the time is so important because the world needs to see something that is actually unified and going one direction with one purpose and one mission, and what better purpose and mission is there than the commission from our Savior Jesus? So that first thing is what? Unity of the mind. Unity of the mind. It's important. Let's start there and then work our way into... If you, if you want to grow close with each other, go on a, a short-term mission trip together. Just actually just go into Wagner and share the gospel with the first five people you see. Just take two or three of you and do that. Serious. I mean, I would say go into Sally or Perry, but you won't see five people. So, and you'll, you'll be related to them anyway, so it wouldn't matter. Right? Yeah. They're all in the room. But, uh, but really, if you want to grow close as a body, then do the work God's called you to together and watch how that happens. But we, we also see other things. We see these building blocks that he's given us for unity and for submission. And, and we see these, there are five things, and just really quickly, we are to live in harmony. Living in harmony is important. That's what comes with compassion for one another, loving as brothers, being tender-hearted, being courteous. We are to live in harmony. That means we happily work 
together in community effort to spread the gospel. Isn't that important? Harmony is important. That's not found outside of the church. We are also to be sympathetic, live considerate of others' needs and emotions, understand and appreciate each other because of the commonality that we have in Christ. Being sympathetic, understanding the needs of each other, understanding what each other are going through, but then also love as brothers and sisters. The Greek, Philadelphus, this word here, it's greater than family love. It's a love that is only possible for a Christ-centered faith family. It's only made possible. That's why, if anybody remembers Johnny Muller, he was our DOM and our association, passed away a few years ago. Wonderful man, him and Miss Roma. And I'll never forget when I first met uh, Brother Johnny. Johnny Muller, he, he knew your name after meeting you the first time. He would shake your hand, he would look you in the eye, and he would repeat your name to you while shaking your hand, and he would never forget it. It's amazing. Listen, I can't remember my five kids' names. I call them the wrong name all the time. I call my wife. If I talk on the phone with my sister, Jamie, my wife, her name's now Jamie for a week. My daughter, Lily, her name's now Jamie for a week also. It's a problem, right? But Johnny could remember everybody. It was incredible. But I'll never forget when he came and we were doing a little roundtable uh, discussion with a bunch of pastors. We were reading a book together. And he said that being a brother or sister in Christ is stronger than a family relationship. It's stronger than an earthly blood relationship because it is a blood-bought and born-again relationship in Christ Jesus. Isn't that something? It's important for us to understand that, that we love as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is greater than a familial love. But then also we are to be compassionate. Like sympathy, we consider one another's needs, but it adds the desire to alleviate and help each other. It adds a desire to help one another. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? If you've ever had a need before, I was just talking about a moment ago um, about the peanuts on the front porch. Ruth and I, when we lived in Springfield, we lived in this parsonage over there, and we didn't have anything. <laughs> we had no money. All we had were a few kids, and it was hot outside. You know, like that's all it was in Springfield. Gnats. We had gnats. A lot of gnats. Right? Well, we didn't have, we were running low on money. We didn't have enough to go get groceries. And somebody left a bushel of peanuts on the front porch. And y'all know what bushel, well, I didn't know what a bushel of peanuts looked like. It's a lot of peanuts, right? Well, they left them there. And you know what? That supplemented and helped us eat for a month. <laughs> they sat in our laundry room for a month and we ate them as fast as we could. It also brought other things into our home. There's a rat living in there that we found out about later and that was a frightening experience. Uh, but all that, I was getting up, getting ready to go deer hunting, fixing some breakfast and this rat comes running at me from the bushel and we could hear something in there every once in a while but, you know, it comes running at me from the bushel of peanuts and we had a cat split across the floor and killed that thing. Coolest thing you ever saw on earth. I was so ready, so ready to go do some deer hunting after that. Like, I want to do it different. I was going to put the rifle away and, like, attack it like a cat. But it's not how it was going to work out. But that's compassion. 
That's having the desire to help. That's what compassion is. That's it being deep-rooted within you. That's compassion. Then we also see that we're to be humble. Be humble. Humble people can encourage one another and celebrate each other's success. That's the difference. We're not competing with one another. That's part of being courteous. Being courteous. Being compassionate. Being humble. Think about this. These are some powerful attributes of a believer that we are supposed to have that honestly and truly and fully are not able to be had outside of Christ. And we might say, oh, but you know what? There are truly humble people out there. There are truly humble people. They can be humble in front of your face all day long, but inside they've achieved something. Inside they've experienced some sort of glory for themselves that they cannot offer to God because they don't know Him. Let our behavior reflect the total change that Christ has made in our lives. We know the fruits of the Spirit. It's something that, um, of course, when we get into them and we start studying them and realizing that they're, they're even more important than the gifts. And that's, it's a comprehensive list of everything that we are supposed to have as believers. Right? Well, we started a club back. It's been three years at Riverbank Elementary School um, since they've been have, able to have a, a Bible study club. And um, we started this past Thursday. I'm going to be teaching every second Thursday of the month at this. And so it, it started up. I didn't know what to expect. Okay, this kindergartners to fifth graders, all coming to the same Bible study. And they want to study through the fruits of the Spirit all year long. Not just until you finish them, but they're going to go back through them again and back through them again and back through them again. Okay? And we're rotating who's teaching which one. So... Anyway, I'm there, and it's me and all these women. Um, No other men came from the community to help with this. Not yet, but I really started getting some of the guys around there and saying, hey, I need some help. I I can't just be outnumbered like this. It's not fair. Um, so, So I went in. But, you know, we had over 150 children show up for the first one. These kids were hungry for it. And you know the difference, too, because women were in charge? Every kid already had a form filled out. The forms were turned in ahead of time. They all had a t-shirt waiting on them. Their size. That's what happens when women are in charge. Just to let you know. Men would have been at the place buying donuts and not had any forms. They would have had all the donuts laid out for the kids. And juice got them all hyped up to go into their first period class. And all the teachers would have hated us. You know, it's just how it works. Let me tell you something. It's important. I don't think you all understand that what we do in response to the grace that is applied to us, and I think this is in general, the church doesn't understand this. What we do is in constant response to the change that we've undergone. It is so important that we see these attributes in the lives of, life of a person that says they're a believer so that we can confirm they truly are following Christ. They truly are. We all know that there's some stinkers out there in the church. Some of y'all are probably stinkers. Some of y'all probably think I'm one of them too. And that's fine. I am. Okay? We all know. I had a guy one time after a business meeting. He, if, it was, if there were 100 people in the room, it was 99 to 1 on a vote. He raised his hand against it. And I walked up to him afterward and I was like, I'm not going to say his name. 
But I said, hey, what's going on? Why did you vote against this? We had talked about it and you were all excited about it. He said, I figured one person in the room needed to play the devil's advocate. At church, he said that. If everybody thinks that it is, then one person needs to vote against it. What? What? It doesn't make any sense. Now, I guarantee if we had decided to replace the pipes on the pipe organ, that it would have been a unanimous vote. But when you're talking about sending all the kids that signed up to go to camp for free, and one person votes against it, it's different. You know, that's the thing about it. Is that our behavior needs to reflect the total change that Christ has made in our lives. So how are we working together as a body in such a way at Berlin Baptist Church to make sure that this is achieved? The first thing is, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you trust Him as enough to save you? The second one is, are you allowing your behavior to affect, I'm sorry, to reflect that total change that you have in Christ? To impact this body here and make it greater than it was before. Adam Hensley was a pastor just across on the other side of Springfield from here. A youth pastor for a long time too as well in the area. And I'll never forget, he said, if God has called you to be great and you're good, then it's a sin. (laughs) Let's be great. The second thing that we see. Remember I told you it's only two points. That's why I'm flying through it. Let repentance be confirmed in action as we refute evil and pursue goodness. I'll say it again. Let repentance be confirmed in action as we refute evil and pursue goodness. Verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Interesting, huh? The evil actions that are taking place against the church should never come from within the church. That's why it's, it's really imperative and essential for us to understand that we are not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that we were called to this. That is what is important. He here is speaking of those who are persecuting the church. Those who are coming against the church. And you know, we think, well, you know, this has been great. We're not persecuted at all. There's no problem at all. And they know that's true. But did you know persecution is actually happening at a higher rate at this point in time in history than any other time of of Christian history? Right now, it's higher than ever. Everywhere in the world but here. And it's coming. Better buckle up because it's coming. If you take a look at Europe, for instance, across Great Britain, and what the church looked like there 20 years ago, it's a lot like what the church looks like here now. If you look like Canada, and what the church looked like there 20 years ago, it looks a whole lot like what the church looks like here now. We better buckle down and get ready, because the persecution's coming. To where when you visit those places and you're walking through these beautiful, beautiful buildings, we walk around, we're like, hey, you see that building over there? That's 200 years old. And all that you see is a chimney because everything else has collapsed. 
When you're walking through those places, you're like, well, that's 5,000 years old over there. Really? Or that's 2,000 years old up there on that hill. It's incredible the difference. And all the churches, the majority of them have shut down. They are museums. Some have restaurants that are served in them. Many of them that still exist are now universalists, meaning that they don't believe salvation is exclusively found in Christ alone, which is a heresy, which is a false teaching. If you look across the street from them, there's a mosque. There's a mosque to the right and a mosque to the left of them as well. There's a plan, and it's taking place, and what it is is that the world is going to fade away. And we can blame whatever we want. People can say, well, science says that if we keep on using cars that aren't electric, then the atmosphere is going to have a big hole in it. We're all going to burn up and die. Sure, the world is fading away. It's passing away. It's promised by the Lord. The enemy is, is, is creeping around here, prowling around like a roaring lion, ready to seek, kill, and destroy. And he's going to do it by whatever means possible. But we can't repay evil for evil. We listened to a, a news um, report about Israel on the way here when they were um, interviewing a colonel in the Israeli army. And he was like, well, we are going to find these men and we are going to kill them. <laughs> Apparently it's a little different over there than it is over here because that would have never been said. We've already killed hundreds of them. Like He's just so matter of fact about it. We're not going to take anything from these people. They're evil, they're terrible, and they're trying to get reinforcements to come in from all around us and come in and kill all of us. So we are going to basically exterminate them. That's his thought process. You know, we have hope in Christ. We know the truth. We can't repay evil for evil. Now let me tell you something. You walk up into my house and try to do something to my family, it will be the end. Okay? That's just how it works. I have first priority. I love and minister and protect my family. You walk up into the church, Saluda River Baptist Church, with ill intentions, then you will also answer to me with that exact same thing. I promise. But let me tell you something. The persecution that we're going through should not be shocking to us. It should be expected. We should know the time is coming. Why? And it's not because the enemy is winning. He's not. He's already lost. His destiny and eternity has already been declared. It's not because of that. It's not because God is weak. No. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is not weak. It's not because it caught God off surprise. Absolutely not, because He's omniscient. He knows all things. It's not because God has lost control. No, because He is sovereign. He is preeminent over everything. It's not because of that. It's because the church got lazy because we got comfortable for far too long. We cannot repay evil for evil. This should not be coming from within. This is coming from without. Evil for evil. Reviling for reviling. You know what that reviling is. You've seen it happen before. And the better, best picture of that, just remember, ladies in the room, when you were girls in high school, and you walked up and there was a girl that was mad at you, 
And you remember all the talking that took place. Do you remember that? Before you got in the room? And do you remember, I was a student pastor for 16 years, so you can't tell me it's not true. This happened at church. There would be a big group of girls sitting over here. And that one girl that made one person mad would walk in that door over there, and all the girls would look at her. Hmm. How dare she come in here? You know? That just change took place. You know, that's what happened. The whole culture has changed and shifted around how they tolerate the church. And it's going to continue getting worse. We must be prepared. We must be prepared to continue to meet, to do our jobs, to study the Word together, to worship together, and to do our jobs as in what? Sharing the Gospel. That is going to be the thread that holds all of this together is the fact that we are on mission for the Lord. Paul brings this up as well in Romans chapter 12. In verse 9 it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, dis, uh, distributing I'm sorry, to the needs of the saints, giving to, to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And repay no one evil for evil, having regard, uh, have, re, have regarded for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, how do we leave this? We continue to serve the community God's placed us in, continue to participate in that church that's in that community, here, Berlin Baptist. Continue to support and love your pastor as he serves and supports and loves you. Continue to allow your life and behavior to reflect that change that Christ has had in you. Let repentance be confirmed in action. It's not the fact that your actions are what's saving you. It's just that they're saying, wow, look at the change. That's a great argument for whether God exists or not. You know, we look at apologetics and we look at all these different arguments about whether God exists or not. But what if somebody looked at you and said, wow, look at the change in that person. Look what God has done ever since they began following Jesus. Ever since they began going to church, they have totally and radically changed. Listen, we live in a time and in a place where it is essential for them to see the church unified and submissive towards one another. We live in a time and a place where it is essential for them to see people who are humble and willing to submit and love and care for. So church today, I say, are you up for the task? 
Are you prepared? How many years has this church been established? I meant to look it up before I came. Since 1935. That's an incredible legacy, isn't it? Since 1935. What a legacy. What a time. Don't let that be threatened. Don't be, let that be threatened by disunity. Don't let that be threatened by a current trend. And y'all are doing great. Listen, one of the other things that I've seen change here um, in the last 10 years is the average age. Y'all are young. It's a young church. Look, y'all go have a bunch of kids. Keep them in church, right? That's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> be married, actually. Then go have a bunch of children. I still stick with that. It goes in that order, right? That being said, let's raise the children in the church. Let's teach them the right way. So when they're older, they will not walk away from it. We've got to preserve it. We've got to teach. We've got to nurture. We've got to help grow. And it's not going to happen if when we're here, we look like these perfect, great Christians. And when we walk out, we act like the rest of the world. Prove your repentance by refuting what is evil. Push it away. Turn your back from it. And remember, it is not good. Only God is good. So that being said, it's been a privilege to be able to be here. Thank you so much. After I preached that Sunday um, here on September the 6th, 2009, I drove all the way back to North Augusta where my mother-in-law was and my wife and my whole family, they were there. And I'll never forget that um, there were people from Warren Baptist in Augusta, which was their home church, my home church as well. Um, there were people from there that had brought food from a Sunday school class. Um, you all beat me there somehow. And you had enough chicken to feed the family five times. Um, Mount Hermon was there with food as well. Um, First Springfield showed up with food. We had so much food, y'all. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. And it was because of that outpouring of love that you all were willing to show when we were all suffering. You too. So I will never forget that. And I appreciate that, that unity and submission that you showed us years ago. And I pray that that type of mindset continued and will continue here as you seek to serve the Lord as best as you can. All right, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.